will maybe explode in your thoughts and in your hearts and in your minds is the truth and the foundation of God's Word. If there's anything that I want you to take away tonight, it is that this Word is true. That it can be trusted all the time. That you can bet your life on God's Word. And so as we begin this evening, turn your Bibles to Psalm number 11. If you're one of those that likes to take notes, this is not going to be a great note-taking message. It's just not. If you're one that likes pictures, then this is for you. If you're somewhere in between, well, then you'll enjoy the ride too. Psalms chapter 11. We're just going to touch on a verse and then we're going to talk about the importance or the relevance of Genesis today. I'm thankful for that song. Let's Psalm chapter 11. We're going to look... At verses numbers 1, 2, and 3, the psalmist writes this in verse number 1 of Psalm chapter 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. And here's the verse we're going to take off from tonight. If the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Before I get to that, I want to share my motivation this evening, my theme in my teaching. And yes, as a, in, in a science classroom, this is up in my classroom. This is, I talk about this almost on a regular basis. The Bible says in 1 Peter, and by the way, you want warnings about the last days, go read 1 Peter chapter 3. And you will see a lot of dire warnings about these last days. It says this, but sanctify the Lord God always in your hearts and be always ready to give an answer. Not that you have to have all the answers. It doesn't say you have to have the answer, but be able to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is my motivation. Tonight, we're going to talk about the foundations of Genesis. And and I'm going to start off with a personal story. We've been on Guam for 14 years now. And about, what is it, seven, eight years ago, we had the opportunity to build our house. So we had the opportunity with a bunch of other people to build a home on Guam. And, you know, if you've ever been a part of building a house or something that is starting off, there's all this excitement, there's all this run up. They have you take a shovel full of sand and throw it for some reason. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's, you're going to build something. And then we went out, we went out to this, this site multiple times. We went out like a month after this. And it's like, hey, look, that's our house. It's okay. They got, they got to dig stuff first. It's okay. They got, we went out another month later. Hey, look, there's pipes. And they dug more holes. Okay, it's all right. It's like, oh, hey, look, there's something going in. There's still nothing there. It's a box with a bunch of metal in it. What's what in the world is going on? A few months later, we went back another month later. Okay, there's nothing different now. Come on. Come on, guys. What is going on here? And then finally, oh, wait, there's actually stuff in those boxes. I know you can't really see it. There's concrete in the boxes. When is a house going to start to show up? When on earth is it? Oh, look, a few weeks later, oh, they took the wood off of the concrete boxes. Woo! Now we're getting somewhere. It took months. It took them like eight months just to put some concrete blocks underground. 
Well, if you mess up on the foundation, if it's off, if, if things are not right with the foundation of a house, the whole house is going to be off, except much worse if the foundations are off. If your foundation, if the foundation of a, of a building, if it's off, if it's not right, if it's not established, if it's not strong, then the whole structure on top of it is going to have problems. Or it's going to be able to withstand the test of time. It's going to be able to withstand storms, trials, tribulations. I want to show you a couple of interesting statistics about the church. First of all, I need to say thank you to a presenter named Brian Osborne. I was able to connect with him about a year and a half ago. And I said, hey, you know what? I like your graphics. Can I steal some of them? He's like, here, sure, yeah, just connect with me. And so some of these statistics are for him. But in America, 3,500 to 4,000 churches close every year in America today. There's another statistic that almost 3 million people are leaving the church. Any church. And this is not just, you know, like just Baptist churches, not just like Catholic. We're talking all churches in America today. There is a drastic, dramatic exodus And I would submit to you that a lot of what's happening is because of a loss and erosion of the foundations found in Scripture. The idea that the Bible as a whole can be trusted. So what doctrinal foundations are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of foundations. And as you see this list, you're going to see there's a lot of current issues today. You have the idea of gender and marriage. You have... I could show you headline after headline. You don't have to. I mean, I don't have to. You could just go read the paper, our own Guam paper in some cases. You have the sanctity of life, abortion, almost all the time in the news, suffering and death, fossils, even dinosaurs, ethnicity, languages, even the gospel finds its root in Genesis. So tonight, if you're going to write, any, if you're going to write some things down, I'm going to give you a few verses. First of all, the verses in Genesis, the passages in Genesis And then I'm going to give you a couple other verses to kind of help, to hopefully help you to have a better foundation. But the ultimate issue is this, is are we going to start as our foundation? Are we going to stand upon God's word or do we stand on man's word? Because when we start to talk about different religions, there are a lot of people that talk about, what about these religions? Really, there's only two religions. There's either a religion that is founded on the true word of of God or there's a religion founded on some man's word. And so what happens is this, if you destroy that foundation, then all these other ideas, all these other really ultimately superficial, visible things get eroded away. Why why is there such a debate over marriage equality, quote unquote, today? Why, Why do we have so much abortion where I think the number is close to 60 million Just American babies since Roe v. Wade have been slaughtered. Why do we live in a world where suffering and death and things like assisted suicide and drug rates and all these different things, why are these issues such a big deal? Why don't, some of them seem like common sense, but the reality is, is that when you don't have the solid foundation, when you don't have a true word to base your external decisions on, when you don't have an unchanging foundation, then you stand on 
sand. You stand on a foundation of somebody's idea somewhere online who may be or may not be that intelligent, and you run into major, major issues. So let me give you a few verses. If you're going to write things down, this is what you'll write down. Let me give you a few verses that touch on some of these concepts. And then if we have time this evening, I'd like to share with you maybe an approach to sharing the gospel even, if we get a chance to get to that. Where is the foundation for gender and marriage? Well, it starts in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. You all know what happens in Genesis chapter 1, right? Creation. Creation. Yeah, it is the detailed account. Actually, it's the general account in Genesis chapter 1 of how God created things in how many days? Seven days. You're like, wait a minute, he rested... Leave it to God, by the way. He created in seven days. You know he created something on day seven? Like, no, he didn't. My Sunday school teachers told me that he rested. What did he create on day seven? He created the week. A pattern which, by the way, has no other foundation in any other location other than the scripture and a pattern that we still follow today. Leave it to God to create when he doesn't create. Six days, and on day six we have, that's what it's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and the Lord God, he spoke everything to existence. My HBC students are like, yeah, we've heard this, come on. Day number six, we have the land animals, and then we have man, and man is completely unique, designed and created in the image of God, right? In verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, You see God speaking to himself. We have the first glimpse of the Trinity in verse number 26. God says, let us make man in our image. And that's not a typo. Those are plural pronouns on purpose in the Hebrew. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that lives, creeps on the earth. Where he puts man in charge and then verse 27 It says, male and female created he them. You're like, really? It says, yeah, it says that specifically. Guess who created gender? Guess where the idea of gender comes from? It comes from the creator. You know, we we live in in, in many places, in many, many churches, sadly, where, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just a nice story. Or, Or, you know what, well, Genesis is, you know, it's mostly... True, uh, sort of, uh, maybe not really that true. It's just, you know, it's just kind of like points to God's power. It's really not that big a deal. But really, you, if, if that's the case, then guess what? Jesus was a complete liar. If Genesis chapter 1, let me say that again. If Genesis chapter 1 is not accurate real history, then Jesus himself is a liar. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6 Let me give you a quick background on this. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is approached by a liar, I mean a lawyer, and that lawyer's going to trick him. He's got the best, he's got, you know, he's he's got, we we get lots and lots of stories about Jesus and lawyers, right? And this lawyer in particular says, hey, can we divorce our wives for any reason we want? And Jesus, of course, goes to the heart of the matter, and you know what he does here in verses 3 through 6? He quotes Genesis. He basically, in the face of the Pharisees, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning? Hey, guys, hey, guys, did you get as far as Genesis 1? Have you read that yet? I mean, I know that's a long ways in. But Pharisees, did, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? These are Jesus' words. 
And what's the, what's the point of Jesus saying this? Well, that's the foundation for marriage as well. The foundation for gender and marriage is a physical reality that is directly tied to creation. It is directly tied to creation. And then in Romans chapter 1, it's condemned as actually a giving over. That when the wickedness of the heart of man becomes so great, the Lord, in fact, one of the, I think, the scariest punishments in Scripture is when the Bible says there in Romans chapter 1, he says he gave them up unto their vile affections. Some people think the punishment of God is scary. No, giving, God giving you up is scary. The creator of the world saying, okay, you can do what you want to do. And you can receive the recompense of your actions. You can receive the fruit of your actions. In other words, what, do we, what does this kind of point to? Well, it create, that God created one man and one woman for life. See, marriage is not a secular idea. Marriage is not at its core a governmental institution. Marriage is not something that is just recognized by a government. In fact, it has nothing to do with that. When reality, it is the first institution that God created. I I listen to Ravi Zacharias frequently, and and Ravi shared how he was talking with a woman who that had come to one of his lectures, and she was talking. She said she was a reporter, and she was reporter for a uh, disreputable in our particular terms, magazine. And she said, can I talk with you a little bit longer? And he said, well, I have to go to this place. And she's like, I'll walk with you. And so she starts walking with him and she starts grilling him on why Christianity is so, such a big deal. This, this idea of one man and one woman. Why not one woman and one woman or one man? Why is that such a big deal? And his response to me is, is exactly the point here, is that marriage is not a secular institution. It is a sacred institution. It is designed and created by God as a part of his work. But what about the sanctity of life? What about the unborn children? Well, in Genesis chapter 126, we see that we are made in the image of God. No other part of creation is that said. No flying things, no creeping things, no crawling things. Only man is created in the image of God. And does that mean we look like God? Does that mean if we stand in front of the mirror and we see God? Well, we just heard this morning, God does not equal me. We are not equal to God, but rather we have many divine-like attributes. Things like what we're doing right now. You ever see a bunch of frogs congregate and sing songs? I know if you live close to one of those retention ponds, you might think they are. But that is not the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> Language, worship, creativity. You see any birds or bees or animals of any kind building concrete structures? Now, don't get me wrong. There's some pretty amazing critters out there that build some pretty amazing designed homes for themselves, but they don't build big machines to help them do that. They don't organize it in the way that we do. They don't air condition it the way that we do. I mean, you could ask any two or three-year-old, show them a picture book with a picture of a person and pick any other animal, and they will tell you they're not the same. Yet somehow in this world, we get this idea that, that it's, we're not, we are somewhat the same. There's, there's a progression of organisms, of evolution throughout the ages. Devalues human life. Reduces it to a mere collection of cells. 
Which by the way, in and of itself, one single cell in and of itself is absolutely miraculous. The function of all the parts and pieces of a single cell is unbelievably complex. But in Genesis 1.26, we see later in Psalms 139, by the way, if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, go read Psalms 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God gets the glory, by the way, for that too, not you. And he didn't make a mistake with you either. He didn't make mistakes. So listen, every human at every stage of life has value. Why? Because people are really that intrinsically value? Well, yes, they are because God made them, for one. And second, because we are made in the image of God. We all have living souls. And how does that translate to our world today? Well, Planned Parenthood, a monster of an organization who treat these lives like they're less than cattle. I mean, PETA, People for the ethical treatment of animals would never allow this if it was a chicken or dog or cat. And yet here we have people selling parts of little human beings. Well, what about suffering and death? This is, this is more of a philosophical question. Well, where's suffering and death come from? How in the world? Well, if God is so good, why is there suffering and death in the world? Well, guess what? We have a reason for suffering and death. It's not a good reason. In Genesis chapter 3, after God creates Adam and Eve perfectly, guess what they do? They rebel. They give in. They they fall prey to the lies of Satan and said, God, did God really say this? And they disobey the word of God. And guess what God says? Well, as a result of that, we have several things. And I'm not going to take time to go through each one of those, from the serpent to the woman to the man. And we have this curse that is now not just on people, it's on all of creation. And in case we weren't sure about that, guess what? Right in the middle of the gospel, the Romans wrote, I love using the Romans wrote, but right smack dab in the middle of Romans. We like to use Romans. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the end of verse, chapter 6, verse 23 is so that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Well, guess what? I think this is the linchpin of the, of the book of Romans right here. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. How did death get into this world? Is death a good thing? Is death the enemy? Or is death the mechanism by which things get better? You see, because in a biblical worldview, death is the enemy. In fact, that's why the resurrection is so important. Because Christ conquered death. And now we can say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Because Christ conquered death. But in an evolutionary worldview, in a worldview, atheistic worldview, well, everything has to happen by chance, random processes. So guess what? Death is the friend of evolution. It's the process by which evolution happens. They don't go to, they don't fit together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you see the same kind of thing happening. So guess what? Suffering, death, is a result of man's disobedience. And it doesn't end there. It's not the end. It's not the sad ending of the story, but God loved us enough that he came and he took that 
punishment of death that you and I deserve. But they're one, and one day they will be completely destroyed. So either we see man's actions as the cause to death, or we see that millions of years death, disease, suffering leads to us. These are two ideas that do not go together whatsoever and that are at the heart of even the gospel. What about fossils and dinosaurs? I'd love to park on this for a long time. Well, where did the fossils come from? This is one of the, another one of those things that are used quite frequently to try to disprove the Bible. Oh, well, look at these millions of years old dinosaur fossils. Well, guess what? We have a great explanation for the fossils. In fact, fossils are hard to explain from an old earth perspective, from a millions of years perspective. Because guess what? When things die, do they just get buried really quickly and fossilize? You ever seen a dead animal on the road? I hate to bring up bad memories. Does it stay there and get fossilized real fast? That boonie dog? No. What happens? It decays. It rots. It de- like bacteria eats it. Scavengers eat it. In fact, even sometimes all the way down so that the bones within just a few short months, if not a few short years, they're gone. The only time you get fossils is if you got special situations like maybe a flood. And by the way, 1 Peter 3 Chapter 3, verse number 6 warns, by the way, that people in the last days, scoffers will come. And guess one of the things that they're going to deny? Specifically, they're going to deny Genesis 6 through 9, the flood. They're going to deny the account, the historical account of the flood in Genesis 6 through 9. Well, guess what a flood would do? It would do exactly what we see. We'd have billions of dead things buried in rock layers that have been laid down by water all over the earth. And that's exactly what we find. In fact, we find some fossils that there is absolutely no way they waited. Here's, a, here's some more, even more recent evidence of in fossils. Soft tissue, blood vessels. In fact, possibly even blood cells. Any forensic scientist will tell you one of the first things to go is all of the soft tissue and the blood in particular. They're gone. And we have Tyrannosaurus Rex blood. No, that doesn't mean Jurassic Park is real. But it does mean that that can't be millions of years old. It just can't be. We could go on and on. I could list multiple different things with fossils and things like that. Well, what about ethnicities? How come we all look so different? We already talked about this last time I got a chance to spoke. We talked about race. Well, guess what? The Bible gives it a very good explanation for that. It gives a really good reason for why we have different language, why different people groups look a little bit different. In Genesis chapters 10 and 11, you have the account of the Tower of Babel. And it explains very well how different family groups became isolated because they could, only, they could understand each other. So as we said before, you know what that means? That just means our, my long-lost relatives couldn't communicate with your long-lost relatives anymore, so they had to split up. Which again just makes us all cousins. And Revelation, by the way, back in the end of Revelation of time, every tribe and tongue and nation, I think that God is going to use something that we might consider devastating, possibly, in a way that's going to glorify him even more than we can imagine. Every tribe and tongue and nation. I can't wait. I can't wait till that day. That divided us up. Well, what about the gospel? We've already kind of touched on this. Genesis chapter 3.15, we have a hint In fact, turn there with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I think this is one of the most amazing things. Right in the middle of a devastating passage where we have the entrance of sin into the world and God is is pronouncing judgment 
not just upon man, but the curse that exists now upon all of creation, which Romans 1.16, by the way, just continues. It says this. Now he's talking to the serpent, to Satan. And he says this in verse number 15. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its heel. You ever been injured in the heel and in the head? Which one's worse? Yeah, in the head you're dead. This is, this is an allusion to Christ right here. The serpent crusher. The one who would come and destroy Satan. And in Romans uh, chapter 116, the same thing. We have, again, those, the same passage we were looking at a little bit earlier. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Let me read that for you. It says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The call of Jesus' words, again, foundation of the gospel is in Genesis. The foundation of all these doctrinal ideas is found in Genesis. So, so here's the illustration. We, as a church... We cry to the world, come, come to the cross, come to Jesus, come be saved. When the problem is that most of the people we're talking to, they have been indoctrinated with the idea of millions of years. And you know what? The ideas of millions, oh, look, it missed. Oh, phew, it missed. But you know what they're attacking? They're not attacking the cross itself because... The cross of Christ is foolishness to those that have no idea what's going on. But when they attack Genesis, when they hit the foundation of the cross, they've hit the foundation of the gospel, then why should they believe the rest of it? Why should they believe what Genesis tells us about Jesus? Why should they believe that there's a need for this? one to come? Why should they believe that, that sin and suffering and death are actually a result of, I mean, that they're a result of sin? Why should they believe that they have a problem? Why do they need a savior? The cross becomes then nothing more than just a silly fairy tale about some guy that we think lived a good life, but really, oh, once again, it didn't hit the cross, but it eroded the foundation to the point that it doesn't matter. You see, the foundation of Genesis tells us that there's death before sin, which means death is not the result of that. Jesus' death is not needed. Some nice guy who lived a bunch of years ago did that one thing and then he died for no reason. It's foolishness. See, the gospel, the heart of the gospel is found in Genesis. The power is in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, and the hope, that's not quite slide 49, 49, um, is that Jesus is the answer. And, and if this word is fiction in chapter 1, why would we believe that it's truth in John? Listen, if you start reading a book, okay, you pick a book off a shelf, and you start reading chapter 1. Ooh, this is a biography. What's chapter 10 going to be? It's going to be a biography. If I start reading a book in chapter 1, and I can tell in chapter 1 that this is a book on cooking, what's chapter 10? 
cookbook. If chapter 1 is fiction, what's chapter 10? Why, if Genesis chapter 1 is fiction, would somebody, anybody, ever think that the rest of it is true? You see, many people in this world have gotten really good at attacking the foundation. Let me pause here, take a quick side trip. Parents, let me admonish you. This is why I strongly urge you to be very, very proactive in your children's education. Personally, I first believe that there's a clear command throughout the Old Testament for the man, the husband, the father to be the primary educator. I think it's quite clear. Now I realize dads, you're like, I, don't, I can't become a full-time teacher of my own kids. I understand that. I realize that. But you guess what you do? You delegate that to somebody. You give that responsibility, that privilege of teaching your children truth to somebody else. Be very careful who you give it to. Be very careful who you give that to. And if you are in a position where you have to have them under people who you know you disagree with, then make sure you're even more involved in clarifying truth. Especially, by the way, let me be even more specific, especially as they go out of your house. This next slide is a short video of a professor from Arizona State University. In case you thought that when they go to college, they just learn more stuff, listen to what he says. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today, okay? And, and anyway, he's great. Does that sound like a physics class or religion class? That was said in a classroom at a public university. There is a war. And this same, this same professor, I don't mean to pick on one because he's not the only one, trust me. But he says this, change is always one generation away. So if we can plant the seeds of doubt in our children, religion will go away in a generation or at least largely go away. And that's what I think we have an obligation to do. That's not just, oh, I believe this, and I'll share that. That's active attack on the truths of Scripture. And where does he start? What was he talking about? Stars. They weren't created at the beginning of time. Oh, this is the most poetic. It, it almost as if he, he's worshiping. Uh, there's another video I didn't, don't, didn't put, get a chance to put on there, but another physicist, a, a guy by the name of Neil deGrasse Tyson, he talk, starts talking about how our ancestors used to worship the sun, and he says this, he says, maybe they weren't so foolish to worship the star that brings us life. Listen, the, the world is not for you. There are many people who are actively against you. In fact, we know that the prince of the power of the air is truly the one that is attacking. We don't need to go against this particular person. He needs Jesus just as badly as anyone else. 
But we do wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so what do we need to do as parents, as a church, is we need to build our foundation on the truth of God's word. And we need to, in our own families, in our own spheres of influence, understand and be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that is in you. And it is a reasonable hope. Be prepared. Not have all the answers, but be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And I pray that this has not discouraged you because we, we've known for a long time we're at war. And we, we also know, by the way, we know the end. We know the ending. Spoiler alert, we win. No, actually not us. Jesus wins. Jesus conquers all of those things. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire along with the devil. And where do we get all that? Well, we get that all from God's word. If we don't, if we don't stand on it from the beginning pages, then the rest of it just becomes fiction as well.